Welcome to this sprint to start, probably sprint to end edition of 43.6. The first one of the new, I guess, what do you, what would you call that? It's not a new year. It's a new year for us. Yeah. Year two. Year two. Um, or act two or our, our sophomore arc. Sophomore slump, right? <laughs> yeah, that's. It's starting off strong. Everyone's all over the place today. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's been some chaos. We decided to record today because of we wanted to delay uh, our recording in lieu of the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, I just realized my cam is pointed <laughs> way up to the ceiling, which is why no one could see who I am. Um, in, in lieu of the Maple Leafs Tampa Bay Lightning game, and it's a good thing in a weird way that we did because, oh boy. What a game that was. I mean, what a game it wasn't until it was a game um, is what it felt like. Yeah. I mean, like, as you said, this one's going to be a bit of a sprint. We're probably going to mostly cover last night's because there's a lot to kind of unpack and discuss uh, last night's game. But yeah, um, it was, I guess, to start in my mind, I guess it's just weird. Because for once we're on the other side of this and not being the victims of a collapse game or moment in a series or anything like that. Granted, it's only three to one and we've seen this. So you hope that this iteration of the team is maybe a little better off. But it's just a very awkward feeling. I, I personally last night, I couldn't get to sleep till like one o'clock because like my head was spinning. I didn't know how to react to it. Because we've seen the 4-1 collapse with Boston. We've seen the series blow up against uh, Montreal. And, you know, we're kind of used to... You see 4-1 going into the third. I guarantee you I knew your thoughts was, well, this is over. And even that first goal by Matthews for 4-2. Yeah. Well, garbage we'll, goal. We'll, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that and we'll break it down kind of from top to bottom uh you might notice that dustin perry is not here at the moment he will be joining as soon as he, get, as, soon as he gets home he's stuck in traffic again part and parcel of what happens when you move the schedule around to try and accommodate other things is that you know other things don't get accommodated and uh he'll be joining here very quickly we got tons to talk about we are going to talk about majority uh the episode about the toronto maple leafs and tampa bay lightning game four and a look ahead to game five we're also going to talk the big day for at least you and i that aaron Rodgers is now officially a new york jet yep finally. uh we're going to talk and we'll probably touch a little bit on nick nurse and maybe we leave the blue jays until next week when we have more time and on a regular schedule regular cadence with and dustin um yeah because he's he's the j head out of all of us yeah definitely um so uh should tell you that this episode is brought to you by now your treasures but i'm sure if dustin gets here in time he will tell you about that later but now let's let's get into last night's game because i first of all when we get down to it i got i got semi-roasted on twitter um, <laughs> and we can get to that when when the time's appropriate. But a lot of them, a lot of people were good sports, and I appreciate that. I feel like I was a good sport to myself. Um, but we'll get to that when the appropriate time. So heading into this game, Maddie, I want to know what was your what was your feeling like? What? Because I can tell it, you, or like as it started, going going in, 
And then let's say through period one, because I can tell you from my perspective, I was cautiously optimistic. I thought, you know, they, they came back a little bit of cardiac kids last game, came back, won the game with that last minute heroics with, with or last few minutes with O'Reilly. You know, it might have been, I thought it was going to be discouraging to Tampa. Yeah. Um, I did honestly, I kind of stalled there because I thought you were going to continue in your thought. So, <laughs> um, so going into the game, I kind of had the same feeling. It was cautious optimism because you would think that again, game three is a game that historically this team does lose game three is historically that game where you might see a little push, but they just don't deliver. They don't get to overtime. They don't score in overtime. So the fact that that happened, and I think it's very evident now, all the talk of Ryan O'Reilly being a playoff performer is, I think it was almost understated now. Because I mean, we, I have, yeah, I have a blank jersey that I bought from the Bay, <laughs> big sale. That I had on for like $40 or something. You, you clued me into that one. And yeah. uh, it's blank. So I'm, I'm thinking about getting O'Reilly on it, but I don't know if I should if this man walks. But... Well, I mean, if he delivers, even even if it goes to a cup final, it's worth getting. Okay. So, but I, I feel now that we only heard so much because, you know, victim of the Western Conference, we've only really ever seen him in spurts when he's been in his prime or when he's on that stage. Yes, we saw him in the cup final, but he did a lot of the heavy lifting leading up to that. Um, so seeing it for our team and what he delivers on both ends of the puck it's just a calmness a poise and a stability that this team never had um to just say yes guys we're down three to one we can do this just chip away chip away one shift at a time you know very much the rocky sentiment you know one punch at a time one round at a time kind of thing and it's very much like that it's one shift at a time you know one minute at a time just go out there um and keep chipping away and so after that game which some people may hear my voice is a little different because I almost lost my voice screaming at that game on Saturday night was you hope that momentum and that mindset carries over to game four. And so that was kind of my mindset going in um, or my viewpoint was, you know, a demoralized Tampa who realistically probably should have won that game. Like top to bottom, they were much better. And then that game started. And I think, I think, you know, what I was personally looking for was I wanted to see the killer instinct from the hop. I wanted to see the Leafs go up 2 nothing quick, show that, you know, they, they know how to put their foot on the gas pedal and leave it there. And I think that's what I was looking for. And I'm pretty sure you we can both attack. Like, that's not what we got. No, it was. Because, like, we tweeted out before from the account at, at 43.6 on Twitter that this was the opportunity for this Leafs to show they are different. That okay, great, they had that overtime win game three. This is their chance to show game four that they know how to you know, start putting their foot on the throat of a team when they smell blood. And boy, did they come out flat. Um, now, in saying that, that first period was bad. And I mean, yes, they scored, but they maybe played all a good of three minutes in that period. And then Tampa just took over. Tampa looked like a team that said, you got us the last one. We're not giving you this one. And I think this has to be broken down into segments of the first half of the game and then the back half of the game. 
Right, because so, what, I, what I noticed is that the team didn't come out physical at all, um, which I thought is one of the things that made them competitive in the previous games was you were seeing guys like Achari and Shen and even Brody and, and to a lesser extent the Kerfoots, the Camps, like they were finishing checks and it just seemed like they were not interested in going to that game in the first period. There was zero interest. I don't know if it was Toronto thinking we don't we don't want to chance any dumb penalties. I don't I like you know, I heard the I think it was today on the radio Nick Kiprios was saying the Tampa doesn't want to play the skill game. Like Tampa wants to play the, the in your face. Sorry? The muddy hockey. Yeah, they want to play muddy, right? And I think although I don't think the Leafs should play that game, I think I think they get confused with finishing their checks with playing that game. Do you know what I mean? I think you you have to be able to still be engaged, and it just looked like they weren't engaged. Yeah, to me, it almost, like you said, one, they were afraid of drawing penalties, which if you, I mean, not even just in this series, across the playoffs, the officiating has been absolutely terrible. Like Marcus Foligno got a dumbass penalty for hitting a guy. Literally, the guy had had the puck. He hit him, and they called it for something, and not one person had agreed. I don't even think anybody on Dallas agreed it was a penalty. But uh, I so I think that kind of led into it. Um, part of it is probably that like tentative nature, knowing that they just had such a big game, and this was such a big opportunity. They're like, let's not squander this, like you said, by stupid penalties. But in doing that, you're letting Tampa dictate the pace, where... If Toronto can dictate the pace of play, and I don't think this is hyperbole, they're very much one of the best teams in the league, if not the best, when, like you said, they're not destroying guys, but they're getting into the forecheck. They're finishing guys off on the boards. They're you know digging for pucks, and they play with pace, and they play with um, a certain physicality that isn't like the minnesotas or even the tampas it's more of just physicality to get the puck not physicality to send a message right and i feel like what we've seen like even from that fourth line of camp aston reese and lafferty where they were puck hounds and wear you down and you know like you said in on the forecheck establishing puck possession cycling the puck wearing a team down enough so that when it comes time you know you get a dummy icing or and I, it's funny, actually, now that I think about it, I think that's what that line is charged to do, is to encourage the other team to ice the puck, right? So that they have to stay on and at least get a change of the fourth line with one of the top lines. Especially uh, on the road, yeah, when you can't control your matchups as right. well. Right. Yeah. So uh, I didn't see any of that. And then they go down early. And I think, you know what, it's okay. They've been they've been down early before. It's not that big of a deal. But, uh boy <laughs> so i was i was not encouraged right so like i said this has to be broken down into kind of mini segments of the game and not as a whole so at the end of the first period what was your mindset i was and forgive me it was two nothing right so i think i was of like okay the least can score quick if they get a, if they get one back at the beginning of the second then we're okay I was right. I, I'm, uh, in my head. I'm giving them. You have seven minutes. You have seven minutes to get a goal for me to believe in this game. 
Mm-hmm. And okay. that's kind of where my head was at. So you're more generous. I was like, you have five minutes <laughs> to kind of, well, cause like, I think any other team, I probably would have been with you. I'm like, you have the first half of the period to make an impact to not allow them to continue to control the pace of play and to make a push. You may not score, but if you're generating infinitely more than them, it's a good sign. And you have 10 minutes to show that. Um, so I think for like, or I said five minutes, any other team I would have given 10 because of the pedigree of Tampa. Like we can say they're tired. We can say they played more hockey than anyone. They're still three time cup finalists, back-to-back cup champions just a few years ago that you can't discredit that kind of pedigree and experience. And, you know, because you have to have a certain mindset to be able to, to do that consistently. And that's a team that, you know, they've been in this position many a time that they lock it down. So I'll but say felt, this, that first 10 good. minutes of this. Yeah. I felt good though, because Achari scored within the first five. Right. And so I was like, okay, you know, here's the push, especially considering the team, the Leafs are the best second period team in, in the league. And it's, and it's the, like the, the character guys that we acquired. I'm like, okay, the, the guys that were here to, to do like, the grunt work are, are doing the grunt work. Yeah. Right. They're, they're dragging us back into this game, a game that up until this point, we have no business being in and we're in. Yes. Um, and it just kind of goes to credence to say that all of these guys they picked up, like you said, are making the impact. And this is why we got them. We didn't get them to finish off the regular season and kind of try and push Boston or whatever. You literally got them for these moments. Um, so in saying that, that first half of that first period, I was like, oh shit, we're going to get absolutely dummied. And did it feel like we were getting dummied? But then it just feels like slowly but surely that mindset that they had at the end of game three started to click in on the back half of the second period. And then something kind of hit for me was it almost felt like Tampa came out really, really fast for the first half of the game to say, Let's try and put this away early and then just try and hold on. Yeah. Knowing felt, the push was going to come. Yeah. I felt and like they tired them. first half of the second period, they, they were a little bit better, but then they got dummied again Yeah, <laughs> on the second half of the second period. Yeah. Um, but it just, it's more of that. They got their legs. They started, you know, able to make passes like early in the first or throughout the first and early in the second, it looked like guys couldn't even make a damn pass. You know, like the five foot short pass of just the breakout or transition pass guys couldn't make, or it just seems everyone was kind of a step behind everyone else on Tampa. Yeah. I felt but, like the Leafs were losing the puck at the, at the hashies every time. Like they were, they were, they were breaking the blue line and Marner was losing the puck just before like the hash marks. It felt like Nyes was losing the puck at the hash marks Nylander mm-hmm. felt almost non-existent. It just felt like guys weren't there and they weren't able to establish any sort of zone presence in that time. Like, and you know what I mean? Like pass, like you said, passes weren't being connected. They couldn't establish a zone. It just, it felt, it felt futile. Yeah, it did. And it just seemed like the second they stepped in the neutral zone, they were lost. Yeah. You know, it's they could get the puck, they could start moving it out, but once they crossed that blue line, they were just like, "Oh shit, what do we do?" Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is the sign of almost sadly a very, very young team. But so that's the second. And you're just kind of, I'll be fully honest. I packed it in. I like turned off the main TV. I was like, I'll go to bed. I'll put it on in the background. I'll do kind of like. Well, yeah. What weirdly puts me in that mindset is when Stamco scored his goal, his celebration, I was like, this is fucking over. He yeah. was so jacked. He was like so jacked to get his goal. I was like, this this is over. This team's going to, ra- the captain scored. It's Steven Stamkos. They're going to rally around this and that's it. Yeah. And, and then watching Kalorn celebrate, scored. it was the it's over kind of celebration. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But then I'm laying in bed and the third period starts and they're they're playing better they're controlling the puck and all of a sudden it's like a different team came out passes were being made they were getting in on the forecheck they were getting in on the puck and i was just like oh it's it's better than game one because when they went down in game one there was no push there was no effort there was they were just like you know what it's game one pack it in let's just worry about game two it didn't feel like that because like i said they were they started again dictating pace and they started pushing the play way more than tampa did and granted when you're up four to one you're not going to be creating chances or attempting to you're going to say we're locking it down but then tampa didn't even lock it down they were more of get the puck toss it away and just let time run out which with a team like the leafs where they're all based on puck control the last thing you would want to do no yeah i i know what you're saying like you you're immediately it's a, it's it's the end is the reason why the dump and chase is kind of not the same as it once used to be is because you're giving the you're well you're, you're giving basically a 50 50 battle to the other team over a loose puck whereas if you maintain possession through the zone you know at, at least you have a hundred percent chance of maintaining possession up until you don't right so um I on it like I didn't get the same sentiment until after the second Matthews goal. And I don't know if you want to walk through the two Matthews goals, but it's after the second Matthews goal, it felt like it, like if if the traditional TSN turning point, it just felt like like a lazy Susan had just rotated <laughs> and there was like another team on the other side. I would, like Achari was finishing checks in the corner, Shen was dumping guys over. It just felt like the guy who was supposed to put the team on his back did and so he said nah like not today and then and then did the thing that he's supposed to do which is what we've been asking for for years and then we see them do it the matthew scores two nylander awakens and is a really and we can talk about the overtime goal and there's a big part of that goal that belongs to nylander and we'll get to it yes um two big parts actually um but I felt like it was after the second Matthews goal that they finally were like, there was they were like fuck like let's go and I think they had that feeling of like we can do this back to back. Yeah, so I I have it broken down literally in like individual moments. So it was four to one, and then for me the four two goal comes. And I'm like, great garbage goal. You guys got one. It's nice. No to selling see from you. Matthews. You know, like if they're not yeah they're not happy about all business. It. Yeah, yeah, he's just like all right, we put one in. His second goal, and again, explaining this, you'll fully understand, but for those who maybe, you know, are fans of the game, but never kind of played too much or whatever, that is why he's the best goal scorer on the planet. That puck was floated by Nylander, and he tipped it two feet off the ice, 
opposite way corner on Vasilevsky. That puck didn't touch the ice. That's not like saucer pass over someone's stick. It landed and Matthew's stick was there. He pulled his stick up and tipped it out of the air and essentially made it do a 90 Yeah, to go directly in. And for those who don't understand how hard that is, it's, it's very, very difficult, very difficult at very that difficult. speed. And like, the thing to remember is when he was when he was kind of injured in the past, he put a lot of work in on becoming a guy who tips shots because he couldn't lean into his wrist shot. I remember right. I, I don't know if it was last year or the year before. I can't remember. It all blurs to me now. But mm-hmm. he he scored a lot of goals in the blue paint, and he had a tons of tipping goals. And that was I find I think the best version of Austin Matthews is a guy who finds the appropriate times and finds a way to do it all to be the tipping guy to be the shot guy to be the front of the like he's got to be a not just a 200 foot player but almost like a how wide is the rink like he's got to yeah, be I think, what is it like yeah by 60 you know what i'm trying to say it's not just 200 feet north south he's got to be 200 feet and x amount of feet left to right feet. um yeah. and i think that's what he showed last night he like he looked pissed off no he did it looked like he was just it's almost like he sat on the bench and he heard every shit talk over the past five years of saying <laughs> it's like the moment like, in Star Wars, like when Ray hears all the, yeah. all the Jedi. <laughs> he heard every reporter, he saw every article, he saw every tweet, he heard every comment, and he was like, Fuck these people. Not today. It's my time. He's like, You wanna say that yes, I'm a great season player, but I haven't delivered in the playoffs. And this is everything that one we've wanted we expect and then i would argue that that was probably two of the biggest goals of his career yeah in that game um so the mindset was yeah goal two okay great garbage goal goal three i was like yeah right like i literally said in my head i was like yeah okay and then the riley goal the tying one that's when i knew they're gonna win I wasn't worried going into overtime. Like, obviously, fucked up crazy bounces can happen. But the Riley the Riley tying goal. Holy shit. Samsonite. I was way off. Pretty much. Um, I knew then and there they were winning. Like, I wasn't... Because you know why? It's the body language See? of Tampa. <laughs> See, I was like, this is too good to be true. This I is was... so leaf. Yeah, I mean, first of all, up until now, let me say a couple things. Mitch Marner has 10 points and leads the playoffs. So for all the shit talking I've done about Mitch Marner in the playoffs um, and stuff like that, and and listen, there's still stuff where you're just like, why are you doing that, Mitch? However, this is infinitely... (laughs) Come on, Mitch. Mitch, Mitch, come on. Um, This is infinitely uh, a better Mitch Mitch, Marner. Mitch, cut it out. Mitch, cut it out. Stop. Uh I mean, we need that as a soundbite. Yeah, we for, do. Um, there's, he's just, he, he's elevated his game to the place I think we all expected it to be as a playoff performer. 10 points, again, leading. That's fantastic. You know, William Nylander, uh, playoff performer, like like you've outlined numerous times, all has shown up the last three years in the playoffs. And then, you know, you even called it, I would say numerous weeks ago that when I was bitching about Riley basically being a non-factor on this team, you said he will show up in the playoffs. And in every aspect from, you know, being a physical player, 
uh, you know, he looks he looks like a, a tough motherfucker out there with the black eye. It looks good on him, oh, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it's not that I want to see him get punched in the face. Yeah, not that I want to see him get punched in the face, but it looks like a guy who's been through some shit, and that's what you want to see, right? It's, it and looks then, like a guy who's putting everything on the line. For yes, it. exactly. Right, like you're you're. It's a badge of honor, almost. Um, yes. You know, watching him dump point. Look, I get it. Reckless for some people. I don't think it was reckless in so much as it was just kind of freak uh, in the moment. Um, I, I think a part of it was they tried to lean on each other, but Point tried to kick the puck around and he caught an edge, and that's yeah. what made it worse. So, but I I want I want Riley to make that play ten times out of ten. I want yeah, him to like you ride. Don't, you, you don't come out of that and say next time just be more careful you're like no make that play every time because then you know what's going to happen the 11th time the guy's going to go in there and be like eh, maybe i'm going to ease up yep so and then his his yeah I, I forget if you look at his stats i think it's expected goals for before the playoffs and during the playoffs he's like tripled the other way yeah. like he was negative and now he's like tripled over into the positives of expected goals for which is crazy uh and he's had two massive goals back-to-back like, in these games which you know man like it takes it takes guts to to have the confidence to make like you don't think you watch the game and it's you're like oh he just throws the it's not no. just throwing the puck on net it's it's again coming from people who've i mean we do have played in the nhl but you in those moments you have those thoughts where like oh this is going to hit someone's shit pad and go the other way oh should i put this in the corner oh should i just pass it off like there's so many decisions and stuff to make in that in those milliseconds that you have for him to have the nutsack to be like i'm putting this on net in in in, in the wherewithal like the, the iq to do it and, and we'll get to that piece too so to do that and you know it takes a little bit of balls to have the confidence to do that because that puck and those pucks can go the other way in the NHL. And it's yes. it's a bad scene. Uh, but I think we should also give credit to Luke Shen, who's been a real fucking stabilizing force. For He's you been said that arguably too. their best defenseman. In terms oh. of defenseman, Morgan Riley, yes, has been their best player on the back end. But he has their but highest expected sh- goals for as well with like 67 or no, 87% or something. Between, yeah. I don't know, remember. But you guys look it it's up. A, it's on Twitter. It's a stupid number. Like, yeah. For for someone that is Luke Shen, who that's not what you expected him to do, but what's well, because he's so good at shutting everyone else down that they're basically saying if anyone's going to score, it's going to be defense. the Leafs, right? Because yeah. he plays such good defense. So, um, I and think, I think it's made a good partner for Riley and has allowed Morgan Riley to be Morgan Riley. Right, and I think that's what we had said leading into the playoffs was Riley's always been better with someone that he always says. I'll take care of the hard defensive stuff. You just go be you. Skate, mm-hmm. move around, do your thing. Um, so I want to touch back other... on the, the point shot piece after we get through the, the overtime. So Okay. But first, I do want to take a step back. I think the real turning point, and I think this can't be understated, is the defensive awareness of a player as young as Matthew Nyes is absolutely unreal. Oof. We said it about Scotty Barnes in his rookie year. But the fact that this kid is 6-0 and in a Leafs jersey when he plays, but he saved the game. That puck was going in. Oh, yeah. And he didn't just swipe at it, which then could have just bounced back. He pulled it out, kept weight on his stick to do it, and then and essentially just fell. Yeah, he yeah. was falling. 
Exactly. And not only has he done little things like that, or not little things, not only has he had moments like that, he's creating plays. He's driving plays. He's... There, there's 15 times from the second Matthews goal onward that I'm like, this kid's going to do it. <laughs> I, I thought he was going to get the overtime winner, to be honest. There were times where I'm like, this kid's going to make it. And he was on the ice for uh, the tying goal. Yeah, He was on the ice for Riley's game winner last game in the overtime. Mm-hmm. And we, I guess we can get to overtime now. He's on the ice again for the overtime winner this time. It's, it's crazy because I know we all said we're very excited to have him here, but let's temper expectations. It's hard to do that now with what he's done because he's just got so much said, poise and so much. He just confidence. looks like he's been there for outside of the gaffes that the only thing I've seen him gaff on without not including like getting knocked down and kind of adjusting to an NHL game versus a college game where he doesn't, he, it's almost like he doesn't know when to be prepared. Um, the only other thing that I see him do is kind of the Mitch thing where he gets into trouble and he like, he'll deke out one guy and then he'll deke out another guy. And you're like, okay, now just put the puck in the corner. Cause you're in trouble. And he'll try and deke out the fourth and fifth guy, like or yeah. the, the same guy three or four times. And it's like, buddy, just at that point, just get rid of it. Like put it in the corner because you're like recognize when a play is dead. Yeah. But what a save. Um, no, that was nuts. Um, and then I, yeah, that overtime, man, my heart can't take two overtimes like that back to back. Like I'm not mid twenties anymore. I know. And it, I said the same thing. I'm like, I'm, I'm not built for this. Yeah. And for those listening, you should have seen the other discord that like Dustin James and myself are in with a bunch of our other friends. It was madness. It was it was essentially every it was the reverse set of emotions from previous years and previous games and series where we were like oh my god they're finally fucking doing it they're up this they're that and then the collapse we're like we fucking this team they're they're bending us over (laughs) bite the pillow right but it was the reverse where we're all like same fucking team can't do it when the games are you know crucial and then it's like oh my god they scored and holy shit they did it again and then i think the one that got me was yours are you fucking kidding me and i was like wait what because i looked away for like two seconds and riley had scored to send it to the overtime so so that overtime yeah first of all um mikhail sergachev what a fucking bonehead move I get you think it's playoffs and they're like, oh, I'm going to do this. And if something happens, they're probably not going to call it. But dude, you but dove into the man's feet. If it if that was up at the red line and he had done that, like at center, that's no call. The fact that Nylander was walking in and loading up a shot and he did it, you have to know that the whole thing is in the playoffs. They're going to let a lot of go unless it directly stops a scoring chance. Well, that and that, and there's no, it's a no doubter. Your entire body is what took the man out. Like, it's not like, it's not like it could be, you know, oh, it could have been just a stick tangle. Could your arm took his leg out. Yeah, your, your, your ass basically took this man out of the knees. So they go on the power play, and I'm like, there's no fucking way. I'm like, this team's like, Tampa's penalty kill. Derek Lalonde's talking about the diamond, and it, it's troublesome for the Leafs. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, they're, I'm going to have to deal with this. And so this is where I want to talk about William Nylander. Oh, my oh. fucking God, dude. 
I, I deserve you get it my now. Own. Samsonite. I was way off. William Nylander. This is where I want to talk about why I think he's smart. First of all, or not smart, but he, he deserves credit. First of all, he draws the penalty. He had a very, very good and very um, assertive overtime. On the power play, there's a moment where he gets high-sticked. And the announcers call it. And he could have he could have done the Kovalev thing, where you like throw your glove off or you see go ah oh, my face it. whatever, and sell it. He didn't. He was able to make the play. Back to yes. I forget who took the point shot. Was it Riley? Geo is it was the Gio. one who yeah. Back to Geo. And this is where I got my lunch taken from me. Uh, Alex Kerfoot's parked right in front of the net and makes a once in a lifetime tip, like Matthews esque. Yes. Uh, before on this, and here's and I'll explain. So halfway through the game, Steve Dangle tweets talking about you know the lineup changes, Michael Bunting, whatever, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Yeah. But he says somebody's gonna have to come out, and I tweeted at him, it has to be Kerfoot. The guys contributed nothing thus far 3.5 million like regardless like that's the gist of it and it <laughs> right i deserve that um and then of course alex kerfoot scores probably the biggest leaf goal in the last five six years and he heard you dude he he heard me so he, someone I, I think i saw on the bench someone's like hey man this fucking guy <laughs> I was checking fucking, Twitter. <laughs> I was on Twitter, man. This guy says three point five million. You're worth nothing. Um, and credit, like a lot of people were good about it because I immediately after he scored, I went, I stand corrected. I replied to my own tweet, and a bunch of people were like, "This one aged well, haha." And like, we're like, "But good on you for for catching owning it. it." Yeah, yeah. owning it, right, dude. I was, but listen, that's also revisionist history because up until that point, that man did nothing. So. I've uh, always said though that like that dude typically elevates his game in the playoffs. Yeah, I was just I've been waiting for games for it to yeah, happen. Th this series he's done nothing really. <laughs> right. So so I even asked. I was watching with Dad a little bit of that game before because I had to pick something up, and I said, "Is Kerfoot on this team? Like I haven't even seen a shift. Like I feel like I haven't seen him on a shift." And then he goes out and he he becomes, you know. Well, you know why? Because Nye's got pushed up with Tavares and Nylander. Right. And you know, got rightfully down. so and it's great even to see him rotated into that top line role when mm -hmm. they needed him and he didn't look again he didn't look out of place so anyway leafs win 5-4 in overtime on the tip by alex kerfoot and they now have a 3-1 lead <laughs> going into thursday's game which i hate that we have to wait two days but i guess travel. yeah it's a momentum killer yeah a little bit uh so First of all, Michael Bunting's suspension is now over. And, you know, I want to play a clip here about from Sheldon Keefe, and we can get your, your commentary on it too. Um, I think Luke Fox was talking to him, Luke Fox from Sportsnet, about lineup changes and kind of, you know, now that Michael Bunting's not uh, suspended anymore and how he sees that changing and, and the talk, you know, is who comes out? What if it's nice? And here's what Sheldon Keefe had to say. 
Well, I mean, Matthew Dines is certainly not coming out of the lineup. He's done a terrific job for us, uh, you know. So he, he's a guy that's definitely um, earned his op- or earned his spot and, and the opportunity to continue to play for us there. So, you know, it's uh, with, with Bundy being available, obviously, it's a very good option for us. He's a good player for us. Uh, it's not as easy or as simple as a decision as it as it may have been uh, earlier in the series or at a different time, you know. So we'll, we'll take our time here and and uh, sort through it we've got a, a group of guys that have played real hard um you know but we've, we've got some time here now today and tomorrow to sort through that and, and make that decision so sheldon keith basically saying that you know they're gonna think about it but i think reading between the lines there i don't think a lineup change is coming i think if it is it's either reese or lafferty's coming out it's- like he said, Nyes isn't coming out, and he's been one of their best players to date in the series. That okay, he might not be delivering on the points, but he's creating things. He's also, as I said, he's he stopped that big goal that was going in. So I don't think there's any way in hell he's coming out. Um, now my thing is that whether you think that Bunting is, and I don't think there's any argument that in terms of sheer skill and what he's produced, that Bunting's a better player than Lafferty and Aston Reese. The problem I see is this, and this is kind of the situation. It's 3-1 with a chance to close it out, to change the narrative and show everyone that this team has ascended. Okay. It's at home. After two of the biggest road wins in the team's 20 years. And you want to put that dude in a game that's going to be so emotionally charged up. First thing Tampa's doing is going to get at him to get in his head. So it's Too funny. Big you of a risk. That. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. So I think there's two schools of thought on something like this. The first one being that you put him in and you risk him retaliating and doing something dumb and putting your team down. The other thing is, you put him in, you take Tampa's focus away from the game, and you put it on Michael Bunting and have them possibly take dumb penalties chasing Bunting down. Now, here's where I think that that becomes problematic. Bunting already has a strained relationship with most referees, and he was coming off suspension. I don't know that he gets the benefit of the doubt on any calls that even Tampa's taking cheap shots after a whistle. I have a funny feeling the refs let that shit slide. And I think you're yeah. letting Tampa play that muddy game that they need to to get engaged and to become fired up. So I, I when I think about it that way, because I was almost like, well, maybe you bait Tampa into some shit. I don't know that you do because I don't think the refs are going to... I just don't think the refs are going to be on his side. And that's terrible to say. But when you get suspended, you're coming off suspension, you're kind of a known rat. It's not... It, it doesn't paint a good picture for you. You're not going to get the benefit of the doubt on those calls, especially in the playoffs. Oh, especially in a series closing game. The refs are going to be very, very specific about what they're going to call. Um, I think the other thing that has to be considered too is he if he does go in, will he be effective? Or is he going to be in his own head where he's going to change up his style? Not necessarily change up his style, but he's going to dial it back. And is he going to be as effective? And therefore, is he going to be what you need? Or if he's going to be a watered down version? You can't dial it back too much because his game is being on the edge of that that line, right? Like walking that line. Uh, And you need him to do that to be effective at, at what he does. 
it's you're right you risk the unfortunate response of dialing it too far back where he becomes ineffective or significantly less effective than anybody else could have been in that spot playing their game right Uh, so i don't i don't disagree with you on that so i'm I'm kind of of the mind that if you get out of the series and i don't want there's lots of hockey left so i'm not oh yeah i'm not celebrating anything that's been down three games to one before and come back and one and has done it through has been to the dance for three years um I think if if Bunting comes back in, it's going to be at a point of desperation in this series or a fresh start in the next series, if if and when there is a next series for the Toronto Maple Leafs. If, if he does get into the series, if he does get into game five on Thursday, it's a very diminished role in comparison. It's fourth line, it's power play two, and protected. that's it. Yeah, protected minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it might not even be fourth line. It might be third line because he'll have the protection of Ryan O'Reilly to do more of the heavy lifting. It's possible. Yeah. So, Um, but then at that point, you're dropping Kerfoot down to the fourth line, right? Where he just had a big game. Do you want that momentum to carry over? Do you want that feeling to kind of stay? uh, It's tough. I, I just think. After two gritty ass road wins like that, I just why shake it up when you're going home? Don't fix right? what's not broken, right? Um, I wanted to comment on one more thing because I, I wanted to get to it and I kind of forgot about it, but you reminded me. So, Andre Vasilevsky's save percentage in the series is a sparkling eight thirty something, and his goals against average is another sparkling four point something. I think it's four point eight four and like eight thirty six. Yeah. If it's I'm bad. I'm worst ballparking. It's been it's bad. And Derek Lalonde said something on last night's broadcast that I was like, I don't know that you should be giving this away for free, bro. Uh I before you do say that though, I don't think he's saying anything that they didn't already know. True. I, I you you could be right, but I think in the context of the way he said it was a little bit sus i think he went way more in depth with it than yeah. like even for like a one statement i think he went way more in depth with it than <laughs> the he, he to. To, to say that like we did a study and we yeah. did a full so deep dive and did it <laughs> so i don't have the clip and i should have had it but basically what it was is he he said on the broadcast and derek lalonde if you don't know is a former assistant coach for the tampa bay lightning uh was in charge of their penalty kill um he said that they had done a study in Tampa Bay as part of the Lightning and that they had found that Vasilevsky had terrible time tracking point shots and that he had, like the percentage of him his success rate on point shots was not very good. So uh, the fact that they changed up their entire defensive structure to facilitate that for him. Right. And it, by the looks of it and these timely goals that the Maple Leafs have scored, it seems like they know this. Right. I, if he had just said, like, yeah, we think out of everything that that was the biggest thing for him. So, you know, yeah. whatever. Hey, you move on saw, from that. Then you're just like, teams we know We saw this. weakness. You know, we, we kind of felt that he struggled a bit on point shots. But they were like, he's like, no, we did a full-on study. And we found out that he's actually terrible at this. <laughs> so we enti- we changed our entire team structure. Right. To, to, to help To make him. up for this That's deficit, m- this deficiency. So if, if I'm the Leafs like hearing that and granted they probably already knew but i'm doubling down i'm like you go to the front of the net and battle because that means there's at minimum two guys in front of the net in front of his face 
that he and it's either going to drop them or right so that being said we are graced with the presence of one dustin perry fresh off the commute brother (laughs) i tell you this this day that i had my goodness started in waterloo ontario and then ended up like in rexdale and then uh, it just, one thing has led to another, and I ended up not leaving Rexdale until at five o'clock. And it is now seven o'clock. It took to get from Rexdale across town and where the carpool was, and then back down to where I live. Seven, it, it shouldn't take two hours to make that trip. It shouldn't. But so while you're here, then because we yeah. just kind of wrapped up our in depth, more in depth thoughts about the game, um, we kind of broke it down into segments of there's the first period the first half of the second, then the back half of the second and the third, and then the overtime. So, and I had mentioned that we have like the group discord that we're in with like 20 other people. Um, and that how it went nuts in that back half of the third period in the overtime. So why don't you give us your thoughts on that game? It doesn't have to be like an hour, but you know, obviously I'm sure you had a range of emotions Oh, man. So when the first period was happening, and I think I said to you guys in that Discord, is like, this feels like one of those games where, yep, we didn't show up on time. Yep. Sort of games. You know, it had that vibe of, man, these guys are getting outplayed. And they just can't seem to sustain. A, they can't seem to gain the zone. And when they yeah. do dump the puck into the zone, just over and over and over and over and over again, to absolutely no success, yet they do it again and over and over again. It almost seems like they have no plan once they dump it in. It's, it's like, funny. All right, we, we dumped said, it in. We said that to a T. Like you quote, you basically summed up everything we just said, like to a T. Yeah. We um, said like before they were dumping and at least guys were getting in on the four check and you know kind of dictate, dictating that pace. And that said, they it just felt didn't. like they were rookies. Like they, it felt like yeah. they just didn't know what to do. Right. Um, and then by whatever the score was by the end of the second was four one or something. I, yeah. I had lost hope at that point. I think we all like, we all joked, like I should go back while you're talking here and go back into that discord to see the timing. Right. And it's just at that point. And then I, I, I begrudgingly watched the third of like, fuck it. I guess I'm here. Like, let's just watch this bullshit. And so, they scored one. And I, I saw, I saw the text from James is like, all right, that's one. And I laughed. Like I knew like he was, he was hyped, but at the same time, like there was trepidation and almost like um, a little bit of um, irony, maybe in in his words of like, it's one, but like, but I'm like, not seriously considering yeah, these assholes matter. are going to come back because yeah. they played horrible all game. And then it, another one and another one. And it, it just got what I will say a couple things that jumped out at me as I was having a conversation with other friends, like texting back and forth, like as the game was going on. And one of the things I said was, you know what? Two guys who get so much shit don't deserve the shit they get, at least in terms of this series. And those two guys, one Justin Hall, I think has been great this series. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we both give me those crazy faces, game one was a little rough, fine. You're a weird guy, Ace! Weird guy! (laughs) Game one was rough, I would give you that. His ass caused Killorn's goal. Okay, well, sure, but like, there's been a number of times where Hall's been out there, and he's been working hard, and he has... The guy tries hard. He's trying hard, 
And I honestly think he has been fine. He hasn't been a problem to a point where you're like, fuck, Justin Hall blew this game for them. I mean, his face is on camera after a lot of goals. I'm just saying. He is, but he also plays like 20-something minutes a game to where if you if you give up seven goals in a game, I will yeah, say Hall's going to be on. Eats, he also eats a lot of shots. Like, he takes a lot of shots, like at the shin pads, in the I will say he has blocked, a, he yeah. has gotten in front of a lot of shots. Like, yeah. that stand is, on that right side. Is, is housing shots from Steven Stamkos like pizzas. Like, he's just... Yeah. And I want to say it was near the... Maybe it was the end of the second period of uh, this game where I saw uh, Kerfoot have a shift where he had... I don't remember exactly who lost the puck, but he had to back check, and he skated all the way back from the opposing blue line back into their zone, broke up the play, finished the check, and then, went to the, and then went to the bench. I'm like... That's it. That's all I fucking ask of you guys sometimes of like, make a strong defensive play, finish your check and get your ass to the bench. So Tavares or O'Reilly or, uh, or Matthews can come back onto the ice. Like that's what you need to do. You need to be the role player that breaks up a play that finishes the check and then get your ass to the bench and energy guy. Exactly. And Kerfoot provided that in this game. And of course, scoring the game winner. And so I, I feel like guys like Hall and Kerfoot who get a lot of shit, I think deserves some credit for the way this team has played thus far. No, I agree. I think Hall maybe less so than Kerfoot, but I I do agree that Hall last night wasn't the problem for once. Like it's not something you could look at and say he's the reason why they were down four one going into the third. Um, well, it just means they didn't exploit his deficiencies, right? Um, what is your take then? Because we, this is something we also touched on. On finally seeing Matthews be the play, not the player, because we, we all know what he is as a player, but the leader that we all expected him to be in the playoffs. Like, yeah. was that a moment to you that you look at and then say, like, "This a is what player. we've been thinking of." He's a different player. I from feel that like on. I, I feel like for the first time, Austin Matthews felt impactful in the playoffs. You know, like he. Obviously, scoring a, a pair of goals will do that, but it, it, he's never felt like an X factor out there. He's always felt like a guy, and obviously, he's really good. Like that, just it's ridiculous for me to say, but like he's never felt like he's really taken over a game in the playoffs. And I feel like that's what he did, at least in the third, the second half of the third period, where it felt like it was Matthew's game, and he looked like the best guy out there against a team that has Stamkos and has Kucherov, right? And say what you will about Victor Hedman. Like, that's a different kind of player altogether. And obviously, I think Hedman probably is the best player on the ice when he's out there in terms of how dominant he is. But I I still think this is the best Austin Matthews has looked as a Toronto Maple Leaf in the playoffs. We had said that it's like halfway through that third period. It's like he ran every clip in his head, read every tweet, read every article, heard every negative comment about him in the playoffs. And he was like, you know what? Fuck you all. Not, not this time. Yeah. I honestly feel like he's a different player today than he was yesterday. I think this is one of those things that you will carry with you as a player and, and elevates you to that, that next step that makes him more a, you know, uh, Steve Eiserman, Ryan O'Reilly type than a yep. Alex Kovalev type, right? Maybe, like, maybe I think Kenan. that's you know, yeah, like right? guys that just team on the back, 
Because that's what so, I said. It's is this his team on the back moment? So quickly, uh, you know, to jump, and I, unless you want to finish off on that, just one last thought on that. I feel like it almost got punched into him. Like if you look back at Game Three and the fight that he had with Stamkos, Good I feel like that could have been a wake up call for him. Of like, you know what? I'm tougher than that motherfucker. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like people are people don't care whether you want to or not. They're going to, and either you're going to show up or you don't. And I think that's that's the thing, right? It's it's exactly that. Like Stamkos doesn't care that you want to you want to fight or not. Like you're getting dragged into it. So either you're going to get dragged into it and kind of be like a, a lady boy about it, and and take it or you're gonna you're gonna get dragged into it and be involved of your own accord which yeah like it felt like he was like exactly what Matt's like no i'm not just gonna be dragged into this 4-1 loss like if, if i'm here i'm at least getting involved and that's what it looked like and i i we didn't touch on that but it's a great point to say that that was his epiphany moment then that yeah, was the moment like where he was like, fuck you all. He said he never fought. Like, I mean, he didn't drop his gloves. And, but sitting in the box for five for fighting is definitely having to watch your team. Can, like For a guy who doesn't do it, it can be a, a definite wake-up call. I agree. Um, yeah. Not to take over the hosting duties. I'll hand them back to you, sir. But I Oh, wanna, please. Take, like, I mean, you've steered the ship thus far. You might as well continue <laughs> steering the ship. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, because uh, we just finished it. Uh, Michael Bunting is now unsuspended. And we kind of said, you know, to summarize, there's two schools of thought here. You don't fix what's not broken, right? And then there's a school of thought, well, you might be able to divert Tampa's attention away from winning a game into retribution on Michael Bunting. However, and and gain some calls in the process. However, I I theorize that it's, and Maddie and I both agreed, it's possible that A, you know, he already has a shitty relationship with the refs. I don't think they're going to give him the calls. He just came off a suspension. Even if Tampa takes shots at him after a whistle, I think the refs let it go. So I don't think you're going to get what you're looking for, even having him in the lineup at this point. And Maddie added that if you, if he dials it back to be, you know, a guy, you know, is it dialed too far back and now he's not effective? So your thoughts. I think it's tough to slide him in. Because this team has won three games in a row without him. And it's going to be difficult to say, okay, maybe we move in a different direction. I can see him coming in if someone is banged up and they're like, you know what? So-and-so could use a rest. Bunting's coming back healthy. Maybe he can slot in if someone is uh, ailing a bit. They've already Sheldon Keefe has already said Matthew Nyes is not coming out of the lineup. So now that leaves either... Uh, Lafferty's coming out or Aston Aston Reese is coming out. And we played that. I don't see either of those. I honestly don't see either of those guys coming out again, unless like we don't know about it, but you know, Lafferty's dealing with a a groin issue or something. It's minor, but he's, he's been playing through it. Maybe you can give him a bit of a rest. Um, If you do put bunting back in and Tampa does focus on it, you really have to sit bunting down and be like, look, these guys are going to run you. And, and you might we not get need calls. you to not be an idiot. Defend yourself, of course, but don't be out there running guys, taking stupid penalties, and getting involved in some extracurricular when you don't need to. Almost put him out there as a decoy 
and like, you want them? Come get them. Come get them. Come get them. And make them make the mistake and then capitalize on those mistakes. That might be the best use of Michael Bunting right now. But I don't know if they need that. I think they probably go with what their roster is currently. And if they lose game five, then you can say, okay, we'll make some changes. We'll put in Michael Bunting as a decoy. And then you can see if that works better for you. So I think by game five, the roster remains exactly the same, regardless of Bunting coming back. Yeah, we kind of said the same thing. We also kind of said that just for what those two wins meant emotionally, like these guys are going to be charged up coming back home and stuff like that, that it's, do you really want to fuck with that by, you know, messing with the mojo of those guys who just went, like we had said, the two won the two most important road games in the past 20 years for this team. And, yeah, and, and I don't know that that building is going to be conducive to a, a calmer Michael Bunting on Thursday. So, no. you know, and like you said, you're going to have to talk with them and say, hey, you're not going to, you're probably not going to get the calls you think you're going to get like you're going to eat cross checks you're going to eat slashes and the refs probably aren't going to call them on you and you can't retaliate and you can't trip the refs either because it like he already does like so much that you just can't you know exactly i don't know how i don't know michael bunting personally but like i know that some guys may take offense to not being put back in the lineup or might take offense to being put back in but being put back in the fourth line where, I mean, when he got suspended, he was up top with Matthews and Marner, right? But I, I really don't hope they go. I hope they don't go back to that. I think so, the no, success right now is with Matthews, Marner, and uh, Yarncroke. And like the way the rest of the lines have played and out because swapping of Swapping in knives when you need to. Right. Yeah. So, now, it's, I yeah. guess it's possible you could put him up uh, on the second line with Tavares and Nylander and move Kerfoot down. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just spitballing, but he's going to have to know that not only are you perhaps not coming back in the lineup, but when you do, you're probably not going back in the top line again. Yeah. Um, we were saying that, but like Nye's played that position for the back half of that third period with Tavares and Nylander, right? So, and how effective he's been and how good he's been. Do you really want to mess that up? And with Kerfoot, the game he just had, do you really want to kind of mess with that? and he'd be dropped to the third line or fourth line. And it's kind of hard to find the spot for him. Um, I also think that you're, you're very right that, you know, he, he could be very salty in with this whole situation. Right. Um, I just, I don't see messing with it with how this team is done. And I think because like you said, with your own croak up there, their goals for, percentage and or, or anticipated goals for whatever they want to call it um is infinitely higher with yarn crook in the lineup or with them him up there with matthews and marner so i mean it's almost like they knew that something like this was going to happen because that latter bit of the season yarn crook was glued to matthews and marner yeah so leafs tampa games Five, six, five? five. Game five on Thursday. Thursday, which again, we were saying is a bummer. We got to wait two days, but we are going to wait two days. Now, we have two more topics to get to. Uh, Dustin, we're going to talk Aaron Rodgers, and we're going to talk the Raptors and the coaching situation. Did you want to run through the ad read real quick now that you've jumped in here? I was just going to ask if you guys have done it, but I suppose not. But that's okay, because this episode is brought to you by Now Your Treasures. 
Now your treasures are purveyors of licensed fine art prints for movies, comics, TV, and video games. Source from galleries in the U.S. and U.K., which include artists from all over the world. Visit Now Your Treasures on Instagram and send a DM 43.6 to receive 43% off any order. All orders are shipped with tracking and complimentary insurance. View the entire ever-expanding inventory at nowyourtreasures.ca or .com. That's N-O-W-Y-O-U-R-T-R-E-A-S-U-R-E-S dot C-A or dot com. And remember, go to Now Your Treasures on Instagram. Send them a DM 43.6 to receive 43% off any order. Silky. I left my mic on mute there because I'm used to you taking the, the wheels here. Uh, so next topic of discussion for us, Aaron Rodgers is finally, finally, I say from the perspective of Maddie and I, a New York Jet. And as we talked about, you know, in our little conversation, the compensation wasn't as bad, I think, as people were anticipating for such a long holdout. <laughs> You're already like, why? Why did we wait so long? So basically... The New York Jets get Aaron Rodgers for the 13th pick this year, a second-round pick next year that could be a first-round pick if he plays more than 65% of the snaps, and another six-round pick. Um, and they get Rodgers and the 15th pick this year. So they move up, or they move down. The Jets move down two spots. The Packers move up two spots and basically have a conditional first for so there's a fifth and a sixth involved too, isn't there? I don't know if yeah, that's I did say the tied sixth, to conditions. Yeah. No, the sixth is there. I don't know. What, I don't know if there's a fifth. I don't remember. There might be, but basically it's two inconsequential picks for moving up two spots and a conditional first or a second. The way I looked at it was like, okay, so they got Aaron Rodgers for a second round pick because the first round picks that are swapping cancel. It's 13th to 15th. Okay, whatever. Like, that's a couple spots in the draft is not the end of the world. I think it would be hilarious, though, if the Packers end up grabbing a wide receiver at the, at, with their first round pick. It's like, oh, they finally got Aaron Rodgers a weapon when they finally traded away Aaron Rodgers. Um, I don't see the downside at all for the Jets. I think it's a little strange that the package is essentially worthless, in my opinion. Um, this is like you were saying, like it's dragged on for so long and this is what the compensation ended up being. Like we couldn't figure this shit out earlier. And it's funny because I even suggested that I said to even people who are Packers fans at work, I said, it's probably going to be like a second and a fourth. And I think if you do the math on these picks, it probably nets out to the equivalent of a second and a fourth. Yeah, pretty much. And look, the Aaron Rodgers isn't what he used to be. I I don't think that's uh, unfair to say, but coming into this Jets offense that I feel like as much as much shit as I give you guys for being Jets fans, I think the offense is good. I think there's pieces there that can work. They've just needed someone to stir the drink. And I think that's what Aaron Rodgers can be. And I think Aaron Rodgers can be, we'll see, but I think he can be a good mentor for Zach Wilson. And I think this is a good stopgap for maybe Zach Wilson isn't quite there yet. But Aaron Rodgers can be the guy that gets him there. It reminds me a lot of a completely different sport, I know. But it reminds me of when Marcus Semyon came into the Blue Jays and he worked with Bo Bichette a lot. Now, listen, Bo Bichette's not an incredible defensive shortstop and never will be. But having 
that leadership and a guy who has played shortstop at a very high level to come in and kind of lead Bo in a certain way. I mean, Bo Bichette's one of the best offensive bats in, in baseball right now. Nevertheless, my point is bringing in that veteran to help bring up a younger player. And when he does fade into the sunset, hopefully Zach Wilson is ready. I mean, hopefully in terms of Jets fans, I don't give a fuck, fuck personally, but hopefully for the Jets sake that Zach Wilson has then matured and has matured, not just as a football player, but personally as well. And that he is then able to take over that offense and off to the races they go. Because there's so many good young pieces there that this is just, all, I think, all they need to make it all come together. Yeah, I think when you think about, I think you make a good point. I don't think you need, like, you can't teach someone to have an arm, right? And Zach Wilson, everyone knows, has an arm. Um, I think you need someone to teach him how to think and be a professional football player. And say what you want about, like, darkness retreats and... and um, vaccinations and i don't know shisha or whatever, whatever well he was like, immunized he, he immunized, was immunized. whatever right so <laughs> whatever he says or covid toe or whatever his problem is he's still a professional football player that's had a lot of success in this league and up until you know really the last two years carried himself pretty well so i think he knows how to manage the the waves of the nfl and at the and like you said you just need someone and i'll ask any of the free agent quarterbacks that were signed outside of a Lamar Jackson, but he's is not a Aaron Rodgers at least as good or better? Like, is he as good as Derek Carr? I think so. I would. So if I'm, if I'm looking for a quarterback for one year, do I want Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr? I'm taking two Aaron Rodgers all day. Well, two years. Even better. I'm still taking Aaron Rodgers. That's what I'm saying, right? I think I, that's what I'm agreeing with you. I think you're giving yourself a shot at a Super Bowl with these guys, and as we said before, the very least, these guys are better having played with and behind Aaron Rodgers. You come out of it better, regardless. Like I, I think you were right. There's literally a no lose situation for the Jets. That's also a good point. That not just Zach Wilson is going to benefit from this. Your whole wide receiver core is going to benefit from this. Your tight end core is going to benefit from this. Your running backs are going to benefit from this. So it's, I, I made it seem like he's just there to bring up Zach Wilson. The whole offense is going to benefit from this. Yeah. What kind of numbers do you think Garrett Wilson puts up this year with Aaron Rodgers? I, do you think it's fair to say that he would have similar numbers to Devontae Adams a couple years ago? Yes. Yeah, I really do. I think you're going to see... I think you're going to see probably top five receiver numbers in the league from Garrett Wilson. I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers has been dying to throw to somebody also, right? Like, I think he's wanted to, like, he's wanted to throw the ball, and he hasn't been able to. So, you know, Randall Cobb's too He's old. also been trying to get his boys jobs. And who, so they brought it. Was it Randall Cobb that they no, brought Al, in? Like they brought in Al Lazard. Alan Lazard, that's who. Which at least he's under. I think he wanted Randall Cobb too, and they're like, no man. He did. I think they were like, yeah, pump the brakes, okay? Odell and Odell's going to Baltimore, so don't worry. Uh, But yeah, I think it's good. I think you know, you look at those receivers. Somebody, I think somebody still has to go, which I means I think they're still going to get help on the O line end or the defensive end because you have Denzel Mims. I think still right. Is he still on this roster? Yeah, and then Corey Davis is still under contract. And you have Garrett Wilson, and then you have that dude from 
Kansas, Medical, or whatever his name is. I don't remember what his name is. And Alan Lazard. Yeah, here, so here it is. Here are the wide receivers. Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, Alan Lazard, McCole Hardman, Denzel Mims, and then Irvin Charles. So they they have one, two, three, four, five solid wide receivers. And then in the third string, they have Malik Taylor and Deontay Spencer. So, you know. So you're probably going Wilson 1, Davis 2, and Lazard 3? Yep. And then McCole Hardman and Denzel Mims coming in off the bench. Yeah. So, hey, it, listen, I know Mims has, has asked for a trade historically. Maybe he's... But I think it's nice to have that depth. I don't know. I think, I mean, again, different sport. You look at the Leafs, it's nice to have options. So... It's a, it's a good problem to have right now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we'll see. I think... And and, and, the, and the backfield too, right? Michael Carter, Brees Hall, and... You know what? Zonovan Knight was real good at some points last season. There was a stat where they said Zonovan Knight broke the most tackles, like for the league, like already apparently already after he started, which was crazy. Um, I forget what the stat was. They referenced it on TV. I just vaguely or or very distinctly remember that being what they commented on. But um, if I was to ask you guys, does this change the landscape of the AFC East? What would you say? Yes. You know, I think this season it was proven that the Bills are beatable. I mean, like for the past couple of seasons, it seemed like it was the Bills division and everyone else. Ever, at least ever since Tom Brady had left the Patriots, it was the Bills division. But looking at it now, I think Miami's in shambles. I, I'm not totally convinced on this uh, New England offense. And again, the Bills are beatable. So, yeah, I think the Jets have every opportunity to win this division now. And if I was to ask you to rank the quarterback receiver pairings of Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Aaron Rodgers, and Garrett Wilson, and Tua and Tyreek Hill, I'm not going to say anybody on the Patriots because I don't think. <laughs> I forgot about Tyreek Hill. <laughs> Mac Wilson and Juju. <laughs> so out of those three pairs, how would you rank them? I, I still go. Um... Allen and Diggs one. I probably go Jets two and then uh, Miami three. Miami realistically shouldn't be three on that list just because of Tyreek Hill. That guy is a stallion. I, I can't. I, I can't believe the athleticism of this man. I think he's probably, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in the league. But Tua takes him down a, a significant peg. And if I had to say who's the two best players in that list like if i could fantasy draft that and say who do i want as my quarterback wide receiver combo it would be allen and uh tyree hill so i wouldn't even take a single jet but total combined i don't think the dolphins are good enough as a package and i think the jets can be but i I would put them at a number two right now and let's not forget the offensive coordinator uh that was Aaron Rodgers' offensive coordinator in Green Bay is now the OC for the New York Jets. So, moving on. Well, uh, what do you guys think about the ranking? Did you guys rank this earlier today, or you? <laughs> no, I was. I was just curious. I mean, if I was to do, I'd probably do the same. I, I yeah, just me too. It, like if Tua's like if Tua has to stay alive. Like that's like that's what it is for me. And I know that sounds a little bit facetious and maybe hyperbolic, but. I mean, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I saw that man have at least two seizures on the field last year. 
so maybe I'm not joking. I think they. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm very scared for that man. Well, he said he considered retirement. The fact that the player had that mindset, that should tell you enough of what the state he was in. So I'm a little bit scared for, for that. And if he sits down, they're going to have to start Mike White. So, <laughs> and we all know how that goes. So I don't know that it's – I don't know that the, the, the situation is as stable as it could be in Miami. So – I don't understand the Miami Dolphins. Like they should be a run first offense, but they're not, and I'm confused. <laughs> like, I just when you look at their roster of like Miles Gaskin and Raheem Mostert and like Jeff Wilson Jr., like these guys are like all solid running backs. Yeah, they should that be pounding should the ball be leaning on heavily to open Tyree Kill's lanes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like you can't just keep bombing the ball down the field to uh Tyreek and Waddle. Like obviously those are two incredible wide receivers, but you need to give them some space, and in order to do that, you got to lean on the run a bit more. Um, so yeah, moving on to the Raptors, our last topic of the day. We had talked a few weeks ago about an interview or a question that Nick Nurse was asked where he said he would have to consider his future, his tenure with the Raptors. It's been a decade. You know, his relation, he said something, correct me if I'm wrong, Dustin, he said something about his relationship with management and all these things, and he would have to take that all into consideration. Did he outline his relationship with management? I think he did. I think he I said, don't remember if he did or he didn't, but I think the point you're making is like, this has been coming, right? Right. So the Toronto Raptors yeah. fired Nick Nurse. I think, it, I think it was more, they parted ways. He said, you can fire me and I'll be okay with it. Um, and I'm going to play first, I'm going to play a clip and then we'll talk about it because this clip I think is like super telling, um, about kind of what went down and then we'll get into it. So yeah, here's Masai's post, uh, or after season, postseason, pre- I don't want to say postseason cause it's the playoffs, but you know what I mean? Presser. You know how difficult it is, you know, like I, <laughs> I just saw Nick, you know, like, um, we, we met this morning, you know, like, and when you see him and he says good luck with those guys you know like that's tough you know like he's 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 he means well you know like and we mean well for him too so (laughs) who said that good luck with those guys can you tell Masai tried to cover that up like it's almost like he's like oh i shouldn't have said that you know he means well but I don't. I don't think Nick meant well at all. I think he was like, "This team is constructed terribly. Good luck with that." It's it's yeah. the condescending comment out the door, and not in a way being like, "Oh fuck you, I'm gonna give you a dig." It's it's a legitimate comment. So what scares me is that it's either about this team is constructed poorly. Good luck with that, or these guys are pricks, and good luck with that. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think I didn't consider it that way. The way I was looking at it, so to your earlier point, I agree that like I don't think Nick Nurse was fired by the Raptors, even though that's how it has to come out. Nick Nurse was on, had one year one year left on his contract. I bet they both met up and said, "Look, I don't want to be here anymore. You guys need to go in a different direction. Why don't you just let me go and I'll go find another job in the NBA?" I, was, I, 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 yeah, fire me. Let me continue to collect a paycheck and till I find another job. 
Right. I, I that's the impression I get. Obviously, I don't know, but that's the impression I get based on this whole scenario. Um, now, in terms of this is what I was telling a bunch of people, like when Nick Nurse got fired, I was saying, look back at Nick Nurse's career and the success that he has had. If you look prior to 2019, and the Raptors were still making playoff runs, like they were still like they kept running into LeBron and they would be eliminated. But I mean, he was LeBron in his prime, so like that's not like you could look at Carl Malone and say, "What the fuck did you do for for your for the Utah Jazz?" It's like, well, he ran to Michael Jordan over and over again. Yeah, similar scenario where like the Raptors just kept running into LeBron James. But even those Raptors teams had Demar Derozan. Then when they moved Demar and brought in Kawhi, they won an NBA championship. But what happened after the NBA championship? Kawhi left. Mark left. Serge left. Danny left. Like five, four of your top five, or sorry, four of your top six were gone. And then what did they replace them with? Which I might, I might. Um... Hold on, hold on. What did they replace them with? <laughs> that. That's what they replaced them with. And then but... the year after that, Kyle Lowry left. And Which all of gentlemen. them, and I'll, I want to outline this because you raise a good point. All of them were shooters, right? Ibaka could shoot, Kawhi could shooters, shoot. Sure, but they were NBA all stars. No, for sure. But what I'm saying is, the uh, going back to what the problem with this roster, and I think Nick Nurse is, they had nobody that could shoot the ball within between eight and fifteen feet. There's nobody that could do that on this roster. They're all, you know, like, like they play. He played ISO. He ran his bench to the ground, and I think the mentality between Nick and Masai was became completely different on how to run this team. And I've said it before on this podcast, and I'll say it again: you can't have three stretch wingmen on your roster and not like Fred can shoot, and that's about it. Like Pascal can't shoot mid-range jumpers. Like that's not his game. Scotty can't hasn't shoot free throws either. <laughs> True, um, Scott. Scotty is developing into a shooter ish, but he's still young, and OG's not really a shooter either. So, and they got better at the inside game with Portal and stuff. But there, and there was always that talk of selfishness from the roster, and I don't know where that came from. I don't, and maybe Masai was talking. Have we considered Masai was talking about Nick Nurse? And the selfishness, like not being open to yeah. his, like trying to run his whatever and not developing. Because I think part of the criticism was that he wasn't developing the bench enough because he wasn't playing them. Well, yeah, we talk about that on the show all the time. It's like, where's Malachi Flynn? <laughs> like, what's this poor man doing? Right. He's just sitting on the bench. Like, what? Why are. Sit Van Bleed every now and then and put in your backup point guard for Christ's sake. And if he's not good enough to be your backup point guard, Find Go one. find yourself a backup point right. guard. Right. <laughs> right. Like Gary Trent can shoot too, but they pulled him off the starting lineup and they made him a sixth man, which I still think he could be sixth man of the year. But again, the, this is this is the Steph Curry NBA, and you have to be a shooter and you have to have shooters to be successful. You can't construct a team of a bunch of six ten dudes to No. Did you just give me the, the, the shooter guns? The <laughs> so yeah, so it's you can't just you can't re remember when we were like the Leafs can't reinvent the wheel and just have 18 skilled guys and expect to win the Raptors can't have 
five six ten guys and expect to to win games like the guys that can't dribble and shoot so the the interesting thing i wanted to put on your guys's plate now here is the rumors were that nick nurse was going to go to houston and that the raptors were going to possibly sign udoka as their new head coach uh udoka <laughs> went to houston <laughs> so fine take him fuck him yeah. um that guy would be a headache and a pr nightmare for the raptors they dodged a bullet with that one so I guess, yeah, and that you 100% probably correct on that. My question is, is where does Nick Nurse land now? And who's who's next up on the Raptors docket? And I've heard rumors of both Jerry Stackhouse and Jamal McGlure stepping into into that kind of seat. What, what if the Steve Nash experiment happens in Toronto? <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> Right. Like, what if it's yeah. a Steve Nash experiment here? Um, you know, because he's not going to get shit on the way he did in Brooklyn by the fan base. Um, you know, the guys are young enough that they can't make the commandments that guys like Kyrie and KD and um, what's his name? Harden made with him in Brooklyn. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's a possibility. I wouldn't be shocked. I would say it's probably a longer shot compared to everyone that's already kind of been mentioned, but it's not something that would shock me. I'd be like, eh, yeah, it makes sense. Now for Nurse, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if it's the Lakers after this. You that's know, interesting. It seems like that that there was an early rumor a year or two ago about the Lakers trying to lure Nick Nurse to be the head coach. So, you know, whatever happens with this playoffs, if they don't win a title, it's an easy out for them to say, well, you're gone as coach. You had LeBron, you had this, you had that, and you couldn't deliver. Regardless of who they run into, which there's much better teams that they have to go through to get there. So, I mean, Nick Nurse makes sense in for er, in LA for the Lakers. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, even some kind of, backwater team that no one really thinks about like that's you know bottom tier that has good pieces maybe they just need more structure portland yeah that's a good point what i think would be an awesome fit for nick nurse would be the detroit pistons um who are no longer uh <laughs> with dwayne casey Quasi dwayne casey is now in like the front office or whatever but yeah I think it would be a really cool combination to have Dwayne Casey and Nick Nurse, the last two Toronto Raptors head coaches to win Coach of the Year. I saw a fun stat the other day of uh, the Toronto Raptors are the only team in the NBA to have two Coach of the Year awards in the past six years, and they fired both of them. <laughs> yeah, so. and I mean, they've had a bunch of guys that were Coaches of the Year that didn't last much. Like, did not Sam Mitchell not win a Coach of the Year? Oh, excuse me. Yeah, you know what? I'm thinking of Sam Mitchell who won the Coach of the Year. Or was it Dwayne Casey? No, Dwayne Casey did as well. Okay, so, oh, fuck, maybe. Whatever the case, the Raptors have fired two of their uh, award-winning coaches in the past six years. Yeah. Nevertheless, um, I think that'd be a fun fit for Nick Nurse. In terms of the Toronto head coach job, I'm with Maddie. I, I like the Steve Nash idea, but I didn't even think of Jamal uh, McGlure, and I think that'd be really awesome, too. Um, and that's... Mm, mm. My thing I don't with know Stack, what I want to say about that. My thing with Stack is like, that he's familiar with the 
the organization, the team. He did the 905, the G League. like Right. But like if we're talking like – I love having this conversation uh, with some friends of like degrees of separation and like how you know people and stuff. Like I'm like one degree separated from Jamal. So like I don't want to like say I know him because I don't at all. But like I would think it would be cool for me to see him get that job, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, another uh, Canadian – I would say Canadian basketball legend, quasi legend, uh, was yeah. a was a crash and banger. Um, has been on this co and would you know fit the uh, the current mold of, of promoting an assistant coach to a head coaching gig. I don't know. The Raptors have time. I think if I'm Nick Nurse, I'm waiting this out. Like there's no decisions to be made right now. The playoffs are happening, like you said, Maddie. Guys are going to get eliminated. Jobs are going to start opening up. He becomes a hot ticket. You drive your price up. Um, if he goes to the Lakers, though, I do think. Do you think that solidifies his status as, you know, I, I, like he's in demand right now? But I don't know. If he's considered an elite coach. If the Lakers grab him, does that make him an elite coach? Yes, because that means it was LeBron saying, either I want him or I'm good with him being our coach. Regardless of whatever weight that has, um, I do think it kind of elevates him to that. Another thing I also thought is he could just sit out the year, collect the final year of his check from Toronto, see what happens, see where the chips lie. What if Pop retires at the end of next season? He could walk right into San Antonio. When you know, be Sorry? Walk right into San Antonio, coach Wembenyama. Yeah, we'll just be like the heir apparent to Greg Popovich. Um, you know, I'm assuming Pop might stay around as like an advisor to the organization, you know, and what if that's the kind of potential transition plan? So, yeah, like, I mean, to me, I feel like the Lakers make sense in a weird way, even though they already have a coach in Darvin Ham who's 43 and 39, but like, you hear some of the coaches on this list. You have Steve Kerr. You've got Jason Kidd. You've got um, Joe Missoula for Boston. You have Doc Rivers. Like You have all these names. I'll be honest, Darvin Ham doesn't really stand out to me as someone that I've ever really heard of, no. attract, or whatever. Nick so, Nurse hangs with those names better than Darvin Ham does. He does. So, you know, even guys like Mike Budenholzer. So... Like, that's where I put Nick Nurse is like at the level as a Budenholzer. So now if we see teams do this in other sports all the time, where if there's a candidate that's there and you didn't win a title, they're like, you know what? You didn't win this title. Yes, you're a coach now. You have a year or two remaining, but we don't want to lose the opportunity of getting this guy. That could also be something that occurs for some of these teams. I mean, Charlotte, Charlotte had a horrible record. Yeah, Maybe he goes there. For sure. All what right. about you? What are, what are your thoughts? Me? I mean, I th I, th I think Stackhouse makes the most sense from an organizational standpoint and from, you know, but I think at the end of the day, I don't, I think this is one of those traditional sports things. Uh, independent of the relationship of Nick Nurse and the Toronto Raptors management, I think this is one of the sports things where things aren't working. Your first bullet is to fire the coach. I think the team's problems are much more deep-rooted than just Nick Nurse. Uh, and I, I firmly stand behind the 
the sentiment that if I were going to keep five guys on this team, I would keep Gary Trent, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Jakob Pertl, and fuck, I don't even know. You'd keep four. You don't I want am. Pascal? No. I don't I don't think Pascal's upside compared to OG's defense and Scotty Barnes' future is enough to continuously play Pascal. I would rather parlay Pascal into pieces, like a, a true point guard and maybe a true power forward, rather than, you know, play him, try the spin move, not make free throws. Like, I just don't... You know, but Masai, and the thing is, Masai's going to be, he's going to do his thing with his guys. And I think he's got, at some point, he's got to get rid of that hubris as well, too. And understand that it, you know, they're good. They just might not be good for this team anymore. So. I, completely off topic. Such a thing. Pierre Engvall just scored for the Islanders they're up one nothing they're down three games to one but it's just funny seeing Pierre Engvall and his fucking giraffe face <laughs> score a goal for the Islanders they're up one nothing but no I I agree like I think Masai's kind of lack of desire to actually rebuild and whatever is hurting this team more than benefiting it for sure uh anything else on you want to say on that Dustin or no, I'm good. All right. So I guess it's time, as Dustin says, for everyone's favorite segment of the week. That's right. Maven Huffman, not backstage at Raw this Monday. Not not having conversations with the Miz or Triple H. <laughs> um, I feel like I n- I know what your shoutouts are both going to be, so I was going to go in a different direction, but never mind. Now I'm all th- turned around. So, anyways, go on, James. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no, I was I was I would have even been surprised that any of us have shoutouts, um, considering like we're we kind of like we're saying we kind of sprinted to start this and they're sprinting to the end because of the the crazy scheduling this week um maddie do you want to go first honestly i just the we kind of talked about it it's not even like something where it's like that they're going to be my shout out i just think this leaves team to finally learn and grow and be something different so far i think is deservedly so i think we're all cautiously optimistic about thursday i think you know, this is the biggest opportunity to show that they are different. Close it up at home. Don't give Tampa any, you know, feeling of life. Um, but yeah, it's you hope that they come out and step on the throat like Happy Gilmore once tried to do in a, in a hockey game. Step on somebody with a skate or cut somebody with a skate. Go. They have to go for it. So, so yeah, Gilmore. no full Gilmore. Dustin. All right, I'm going to go with uh, what I thought was going to be Maddie's shout-out. Um, Chris Bassett, who, of course, is a starting pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he had said recently that he didn't grow up being a hockey fan. And I think he grew up in Arizona. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't grow up being a hockey fan, but now since he's moved to Toronto, he has a 
adopted the Toronto Maple Leafs as his hometown team, and he is now uh, a Maple Leafs fan till the end of time, which is pretty cool to hear for a guy to come into this market and uh, immediately embrace everything that is Toronto and for him to adopt the Toronto Maple Leafs as his uh, hockey team. Now, normally I would say you're not allowed to do that. You have to fucking just like what I would always say about sports and I can make you know adjustments to this. But what I always say is um, your sports teams that you support is kind of like your family. It's it's you don't get to pick your family like this is where you grew up. This is your team loyalty ride or die this is it however in the situation that he's in where he didn't ever watch hockey to begin with and now he lives in toronto and he plays for professional sports team in toronto i am totally okay with making an (laughs) addendment here and saying this is an acceptable reason an acceptable way to say you are now a toronto maple Leafs fan so shout out to chris bassett for being a cool dude if you can see, Dustin just gave the Don Cherry thumbs up. <laughs> that was the most Don Cherry thumbs up yeah, I've was, ever seen. It was so Don. Uh, full, full Gilmore and full Cherry. Um, my shout out is going to be to Jason Spezza. Um, the dude, like, I got to think that he had a hand in some of these guys that came in, uh, you know, at the deadline. And I got to think his advisory role to do this is to not i don't want to say teach but to guide him on how to build a competitive hockey team on the ice and when i say competitive i mean that has compete is not just skilled and seeing those clips of dubis chirping the fans in tampa love it and and jason like just giving the mean fist pumps after those two overtime goals just you know mad respect for a guy like he never won a cup he came to his childhood team we fucked it up for him and now he's sitting in the press box with the gm watching his former teammates uh do the thing and hopefully you know continue on this journey and and being cool about it um that's got to be a hard thing to do i think for a guy like spezza who for all intents and purposes is one of the biggest students of the game to have to to walk away gracefully and join the team and, and still be there and, and subject yourself to it day in and day out is really fucking impressive. So shout out to you. The, the passion. <laughs> One of my favorite things of all these Leafs wins has been at the end of the game, I'm like, all right, give me the Spezza cam. Give me the Spezza cam. <laughs> and he's like the, the celebration of Jason. He's like, he's just so, so passionate about so it. So jacked. Yeah. The best one is the one where it was just, it wasn't even long. It was, yeah. And then done. And then he just <laughs> he turned to the door and walked out. The door and walked away. Yeah, it yeah. was great. But no, I agree. That's a really good one. And I think it also says something with, like I said, you know, no pun intended with the whole Leafs and the passion joke. It shows how passionate he is for this team to win and wanting to be a part of it still when the playing days are over that he's just like, you know what? I still want to go into management. I still believe in this team. And I think he would be over the moon if this team did it and he got a ring as being part of the organization, even though he wasn't on the ice. And hear me out. One day, I think he'll be a coach or GM of this team. I can I see, see it. it happen. Yep, yeah. I can totally see it. Um, unprecedented thing I'm about to do here. I'm going to throw out a fourth shout out. Whoa. I'm going to throw out a shout out on behalf of all of us. Okay. Ooh. And this special shout out on behalf of all of us, on behalf of the entire show, has to go to Luke fucking Shen, boys. Yes. 
Yes. This man <laughs> not only has been blocking shots like a motherfucker, but how many times where there's been like there's been scrums in the game and Luke's right in there just chucking knuckles. And how many times there's been just yapping back and forth between the benches and Luke Shen standing in the middle of it saying, if you have anything to say, you have to say it to me first. Like, just what a... a oh, this guy. So happy he's a Maple Leaf again. Yeah. Well, we had said before you had got on that his goals for while he's on the ice is like 84% because he prevents so much. Yeah, yeah expected goals for is something like 67. And I think we talked about this was the guy we had said we wanted... We wanted Luke Shen. We said it multiple times leading up to the deadline. That's the guy we want to see on this team. Um, people would say he's old, he's slow, he can't do the things that this team needs him to do. When in fact, I would argue it's exactly what the team has needed. Uh, we even said maybe it's something that Morgan Riley needed in order to play, you know, like Morgan Riley. So I agree with that. I'm all okay. Yeah. Before we leave, actually, <laughs> I'm adding some. I'm adding one more thing. I said to Matt, I got two Leafs jerseys now in my closet that are blank. I have a Drew House one and a blue one. I'm thinking Nyes <laughs> on one of them and then O'Reilly on another, but I'm not sure. I like it. Okay, so I'll tell you what you should do. The Drew House one, I that think. One on one side, one on the other. Well, I don't oh, think stop. you can crush the inside. You might <laughs> be able to, I don't know. I think the Drew House one should be O'Reilly and the blue one should be Nyes. And the reason why I'm saying this is because of both guys, only one of them has probably worn the black sweater. Yeah. I think O'Reilly has worn the black sweater at some point because he got mm. hurt so early into acquiring him. I don't know if he ever wore it either. But I know for certain that Nyes never wore it. So that's why I'm saying blue Nyes, black O'Reilly. But I'm not sure if O'Reilly ever wore the black one either. So I don't know. Or do I do Marner on the black, O'Reilly on the blue? And a new one for Nice next year. That. DHgate? Not DHgate. DHgate is for Aaron Rodgers. I'm just waiting for the confirmation that he's wearing 12. And then once I know he's officially wearing 12, because the 12 is Joe Namath. So as soon as he's wearing 12, I'm on DHgate. And I've already had ass around. I'm going with green. I like it. I like the green. The green for the Jets is nice. It's like that nice emerald green. I'm going to float this idea to you. The black leaf sweater. I went with Matthews because Matthews has an A on that sweater. I don't know if they crest it with an A for Marner. Well, it depends. Um, well, because, yeah, Matthews is the A at home. So just, again, keep that in mind. Cool. I will keep that in mind. That being said, th I was saying this is our first episode of the new, era, new year, I guess new anim, new whatever. Uh, I'm not going to number them anymore. So I'm not going to say it's 53 or whatever. It's just... This week's episode. Uh, but you'll know in your heart this episode 53. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next one will be 54. If you can count, you'll know that it's 53. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, if you like the show, please tell your friends. Uh, follow us. Give us uh, good reviews. Subscribe. Follow us on all social medias. And that being said, I guess hopefully we'll see you at a better scheduled time next week. Right, boys? It should be okay. I mean, as long as... <laughs> All right, we'll everyone. It. Take care. Enjoy the Leafs game on Thursday. It's going to be a big one. Oh, yeah.